0: She felt the release and had to dive between her legs with the plastic test to make sure she caught the stream. And then it was done. The second the test made contact, the chemical reaction began. Her nerves fizzed. Grace did up her pants and looked at her watch. It had been nine seconds. She washed her hands and set the test on the bathroom countertop. She couldn't bear to watch it. She stepped into the hall and closed the door. For three minutes, she paced up and down, mimicking expectant fathers waiting outside 1950s hospital delivery rooms. When the time came to look, she walked into the lounge room where Dan was reading, unaware. I took a test and it's ready, she announced. He lowered his tablet. And? And I haven't looked yet. He leapt off the couch. Well, come on, he said. Having borne witness to the French vanilla expedition and an hour later, the Great Pickle Quest, Dan couldn't help but draw conclusions of his own. It's in the bathroom. They hurried upstairs, anticip- anticipation building with each footfall. Dan put his hand on the doorknob. Ready? Yes, let's get it over with. They opened the door and walked towards the counter. When she looked at the test, she could hardly believe her eyes. Dan, she held up the stick, revealing two little bars. We're pregnant. We're pregnant. Welcome
1: to the Good Reading Magazine Podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading, and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. My name's Emma Harvey. There is something sterile and detached about the standard definition of IVF – A form of assisted reproduction where the eggs from a woman are extracted under anaesthetic and placed in a culture dish with thousands of sperm, allowing the process of fertilisation to take place outside the body. But for its proponents, IVF, or in vitro fertilisation to give its full name, is a profound and emotionally complex time in their lives. A gift from science to humanity that gives infertile couples and single parents the opportunity to have a child. And for the most part, IVF is a safe, though arduous and emotionally taxing, process. But things can, and very occasionally do, go wrong. The emotional, moral and legal dilemmas of IVF treatment are brought to life in a new family drama, The Mothers, by Australian author Genevieve Gannon. The Mothers is a fictional reimagining of several real-life shocking cases in which a mix-up in an IVF lab has devastating consequences for couples in the real world. Genevieve is a Sydney-based journalist and award-winning author of four novels. We are very excited to have her with us today to tell us more about her latest book. Genevieve, welcome. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. As the title suggests, this novel is about two mums, Priya and Grace. Can you tell us a bit about these women and how their lives come to tragically intersect?
0: Well Grace is a woman who is very passionate about people. She's a mistress at a boarding school um, having started her career as a teacher and she was in part if not inspired then definitely informed by a girlfriend of mine who was always telling us amazing anecdotes of what it was like to work in a boarding house in Melbourne where I used to live. She had always wanted and expected that she would have a family and it was just something that never happened for her and on her 40th birthday she met this wonderful man and he also um, really wanted to have a family and, and similarly hadn't met that person so straight away they discuss let's start a family that's something we really want and then they discover that they can't so when we meet them they are quite far into their IVF process I think they're on their sixth cycle when we meet them and they're really determined but it is starting to wear them down and the book sort of picks up as they commence the last round they're kind of coming to terms with you know grace is nearly 44 her eggs will not be viable for much longer they're going to have to start thinking about other options um donor embryos perhaps maybe surrogacy um, and that's that's where we meet them Um, we meet Priya who is Um, a little bit younger and um, about to commence IVF for the first time. She and her husband um, have been trying to get pregnant and it just hasn't really been happening. They're not quite at that critical point that Grace and Dan are at, but they have other problems in their marriage. The stress of not being able to conceive is creating tension um, and a distance and a coldness and um, to deal with that Nick Priya's husband starts turning to other sources of comfort and and Priya discovers that so that's that's where we meet the two characters Um, Priya is an auntie so we see her with her nieces who she really loves Um, and she's less Uh, focused on having children than Grace is, but um, it's still something she very much wants.
1: Right. And for most of us, the idea of an IVF bungle seems nightmarish, unbelievable even. But as I understand it, you took inspiration from real life cases.
0: Yes. There have actually been, look, it's it's very rare, but there have been quite a few examples of embryo mix-ups. Um, I stumbled across this one while I was researching the IVF industry for my job as a journalist. Um, and I, I just came across this case um, from 1999. And I couldn't believe it. it it's quite different to, this, um, to what happens in this book, but the, the sort of the genesis, the, the, the mix-up um was similar and I just thought my god I can't believe that had ever happened and the more I looked into it the more I discovered that it actually happened a few times and what really shocked me was depending on where it happened depending on what country you're in depending on what jurisdiction you're in there were different outcomes. There have actually been quite a few cases in the US and, in fact, we've seen one just this, this year. It really? sort of broke. There was um, a claim made against a, a clinic based in LA and there are three couples involved in that one. Um, it was quite shocking. Uh, a couple in New York gave birth to twins um, and the twins were a different race to them, so it was quite obvious that something had happened and they were also expecting their twins to be girls and they were boys. And then when the lab investigated complaint or, or what had happened um they discovered that not only were the twins not related to their birth parents but they weren't related to each other oh my God. so they were two completely separate embryos yes. from two couples that had been placed in this third woman and then um not the, the full detail hasn't come out yet but i know that one couple got their baby back and then i don't I, i'm pretty sure the other couple also got their baby back um, but that means that those twins have been separated and the the birth mother lost both of them Mm -hmm. and it's just something that I think you you almost can't get your head around it because it's such a new phenomenon this technology is relatively recent and what we're seeing is that the legal system also is sort of, you know, trying Not to grapple gripped, with yeah. how you how you um, deal with these sorts of mistakes. unusual
1: situations, yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned the clinic. The clinic in your book is called Empona. Um, and though the book is written from the perspective of Grace and Priya predominantly, you also write occasionally from the viewpoint of Dr. Ashley Lee. And through Dr. Lee's eyes, we gain some behind-the-scenes access to the clinic. Yes. I wonder what kind of research you had to do to make those scenes authentic and medically accurate.
0: Um, there was... this. The process of writing this was um, very long and there was a lot of research. I started with legal documents, mm. um, the, the cases that I've mentioned, and a couple of other cases. There was one in Singapore last year. Um, it was... Because it's such an unusual occurrence um, and even in the cases that have come out, it hasn't been entirely clear exactly what happened and and they've been quite different in um, some of the different instances that we've seen. Um, You'll remember from the book I did try and keep it quite vague Mm. um, because I know it's a highly technical process and it's something that um, not only did I – um, have trouble nailing down exactly how you would describe what went wrong there. Um, I didn't think that would be particularly interesting for the no, readers. The yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, I started with the legal documents and then um, a lot of reading, interviewing um, people that have worked in this space, interviewing people that have been through IVF, um, podcasts, there are so many podcasts, mm. blogs, reading about people's experiences and... Um, yeah interviewing interviewing reading and blogs mostly lots <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah.
1: well you mentioned the legalities and the and the legal papers that you were reading mm. um but as you say and many of them were from overseas yes. so we've got the United States you've got Singapore as you mentioned yes has anything like that happened in Australia yet no no Touch no
0: Australia's um actually incredibly well regulated um I've actually just done a, an article on this there's a this is probably quite boring if you're reading the Victorian government's in the middle of a major review of IVF um in Victoria, but it's widely been agreed that the regulation there is world class, world leading. Um yeah, we we haven't seen a, a case of it in Australia do and hopefully you? we never do. Yeah.
1: By the time we reach the middle of the novel, lawsuits are flying, mm-hmm. uh I'm curious, how did the similar real-life cases pan out? What happened to those children?
0: Well, the thing that's so interesting about this issue is that, depending as I mentioned, depending on where you are, you see different outcomes. So in the 1999 case from New York... What happened there was we had a mother who gave birth to twins um, and there was a racial difference between the twins. So the birth mother was um, a, a white American woman um, and she gave birth to two boys. One of them was genetically hers and the other one was an African-American boy. So when he was born, there was that visible difference and clearly something had happened Um they were sued for custody by the other couple and the court ruled that the other couple should have custody of that child. The The birth parents, their names were Faisano, they agreed to relinquish their son or the, the son that they had given birth to. I mean, this is what makes it so interesting. Mm, it's such it's a, so complicated. She, she'd yeah. been through nine months of gestation. She'd mm. bonded with him. She'd given birth. In her in her mind, and for all intents and purposes, this was her son. But biologically, he wasn't because of this scientific procedure. So they agreed to give up this baby, but they wanted visitation. They wanted um, the little boy to have a relationship with his brother. They'd been raised together as twins for the first four months of their lives. They shared a bath. They had a swing set that they shared, um, and initially the the other couple um perry rogers was their name they agreed to that and there were meetings in a neutral place but they were very tense and the birth mother donna would refer to herself as mummy um the the um Biological parents changed his name. So he was christened Joseph by his birth parents, but they renamed him. Um, I've just forgotten what they renamed him, but they gave him another name. And then when Donna came to spend time with him, she would say, oh, mummy's here. And she would call him Joseph. And his birth mother, who understandably, understandably was probably... Um, facing a really complex psychological situation where she's trying to bond with this son that she didn't know existed until he was four months old. Um, She really didn't like that and they moved to stop that family from having access and they were successful in that. So this woman that had given birth to a little baby was then told not only did she have to give him up, but she wasn't allowed to have any contact with him at all. Um, And that is... Really, that's what got me started started writing this book because that's just so it's so devastating for everyone involved. I'm sure that um, the biological parents did not want to do that to another family, but equally, they want to protect their relationship with their son, and they they want to protect their son and, and themselves. I'm sure um, we've seen cases in the UK where courts have ruled that babies who have biological parents who are not their birth parents stay with their birth parents. So they've made the opposite decision. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So do we know, does the law tend to favor one way over the other? Are there trends? I guess there's not enough cases to really know.
0: No, there aren't enough cases. And it just depends where you are. I spoke to a family lawyer in Australia about what would happen if it were to happen here. And she tended to think that we would follow the British example Mm -hmm. and um, not place so much emphasis on biology, but she wasn't. She couldn't say for sure.
1: No point of reference. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so she she said that it could well end up in a, a custody dispute, which is what I really wanted to explore with this book. Um, something that came out, a, a comment that came out in. Um, I can't remember if it was the original American case, but definitely that I, I pulled from a, a, a judgment in America was where there is that racial difference it's not just about biology it's about culture it's about um your genetic history as well which i guess is biology but you know if there's a history of heart disease or diabetes or some sort of hereditary cancer um it's important to have that that knowledge Mm -hmm. um so it's it's very complicated and um even as i talk about it i think god it's it's so complicated i feel very unqualified but um What I wanted to do with this book was just really explore that emotional um, turmoil that those families would go through.
1: Yeah, and um, for those who haven't read the book, Grace and Dan are a white couple and and Priya um, is of Indian heritage. So it's very obvious from the beginning to Grace especially that her child is not possibly her child and that raises very complicated Yes. circumstances yeah
0: yeah just- and again just from from that research because you you do think if that if if you're in that birthing suite that that error is obvious to you but um there was a couple and I can't remember exactly which case it was but they similarly they were a white couple they had a baby that was a, a different race it was a very, a very clear Um, visible difference between the parents and the child but they just loved the baby and they didn't really know how this could have happened and they just didn't say anything and um, I'll have to pull that up actually because it's quite an interesting read they just sort of say well this is our baby we love them we no one no one mentioned that there had been a mistake we just we just raised him and we loved him and we, we do see Grace and Dan in the birthing suite sort of grappling with it the character of grace she has very blonde hair but her husband is the sort of um you know he's got a bit of an italian in him i think he's a bit of syrian mm. a bit of maltese and the doctor sort of says i don't know you know perhaps it's a dormant, gene dormant you know yeah, yeah just a, a sort of one of those little genetic anomalies and it's just kind of an offhand remark but the couple they hold on to that because they don't want to right. face what they believe really could have actually gone so shockingly wrong
1: yeah And this book is not just sort of a takedown of of malpractice, infertility clinics, it's not just science and medicine. At its heart, it's really a tender, empathetic insight into the agony of infertility, the deeply personal suffering that many women and couples experience when they're trying to have a child Did you speak with anyone who had been through that kind of thing? Do you know someone, um, like you mentioned your friend earlier, who struggled with that sort of thing?
0: Yes, um, definitely. I did did interview um, a few people who, for want of a better word, were strangers, just people who'd been through um, that experience. But also I do have personal connections in my life. I've seen um, up close what that's like for people. You know, I try to keep away from... Thinking too much about friends' struggles when writing something like this, which is why I, I sought out um, people who could talk about their experience, where it wasn't something that I was, you know, a party to <laughs> it wasn't a it wasn't a girlfriend story that I was mm-hmm. that I was sort of milking for um for drama. But I read I read um oh, as I said there are some incredible podcasts out there. Um, and um, and I read some quite moving books as well. Aside from all
1: that dark and bizarre and potentially, um, you know, to many of us, otherworldly problems, mm. it's also a portrayal of other more relatable human relationships like mm. love and mm. marriage. Your first foray into professional writing was... A dating and relationship column is that correct did you oh, yeah. did you draw from that when writing about <laughs> these characters
0: um no not really that was quite different that was um for a very edgy <laughs> um youth magazine in melbourne so it was quite different that was um yeah, it wasn't so much relationships and dating. It was more sex and sexuality. Right. Um, that magazine's called Voiceworks. It's for people oh, under yeah. 25. Nice. So if there's anyone under 25 who's interested in writing, I strongly recommend That's checking awesome. out Voiceworks. Yeah. yeah, some amazing people have written for Voiceworks. A lot of people got their start yeah. there. Um, yeah, so no, that was quite that was quite different. Um, I did do, though, uh, my first book, Husband Hunters, was inspired by an interview with, John Gray who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. So I have spent a bit of time wading around in that in relationship waters, and yeah. social psychology and I, I find that sort of stuff really fun to explore.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned one of your earlier novels and you've written four in yes. total now, which is crazy. <laughs> uh what have you learned from writing over the years?
0: As, as a writer, as an author? Yeah, is it getting easier and um, getting better? It does. It's like it. Well, I mean, it's every book's different, every book's hard, but it's like anything practice makes perfect. Definitely, um, I feel like with the first one, you're kind of just muddling your way through it. And with the second one, you're like, oh, I remember how to do this. And by you sort of start to hit your straps. It still gets hard. And definitely, I'm working on what would be a second print novel. And I do very much have that second book blues okay. that people talk about it's it's so hard it's killing me it's awful <laughs> um but uh I feel like we'll get there
1: yeah but you write daily as a, as a journalist like you said it's a very different type of writing obviously very different. Yeah. but you you know are writing about all kinds of things from cold cases to celebrities mm. and whatnot do you find that that ends up in your books is that going to inspire a future book
0: Um, I definitely have taken ideas from books, from stories that I've done. You meet such a wide range of people as a journalist and you hear such amazing things and you think, oh, wow. Um, in fact, my third book definitely was inspired by a case that I covered. This was inspired by my work and Mm. and the first one as well, the John Gray interview. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And they're the same skills, really. Particularly being a feature writer now, it's really about storytelling. And um, I was um, I was at a meeting the other day at a sort of a creativey place, and they had a big whiteboard, and it said up the top, "Make me feel something." And I think, um, as a feature writer, and also as a novelist, that's what you're really. Mm. trying to do you're trying to grip someone and pull them in and say listen to this story whether that's um a work of fiction or whether that's a feature that has um a a message or a lesson at its core um you're you're trying to achieve the same thing
1: yeah well given that you've been immersed in this world in writing this book Mm. for so long the world of ivf and relationships and fertility Um, I know you said that you feel underqualified to talk about some of this stuff because um, maybe you haven't personally dealt with it, but do you have some supportive words or advice for women who are grappling with quite a long and disheartening road, that process to conceive?
0: Um, God, you know, you actually just touched on something that was a concern of mine, which is that I haven't been through IVF. So I I did feel a little bit... um, not quite imposter syndrome but I, I did really worry um about portraying such a personal thing that so many people it's it's so emotional and and i know from speaking to both people i've interviewed and also um just girlfriends that the you know the whole you know the hormone treatment it really everything about it it's painful the process is painful um it you know you're on all these drugs it's so high stakes um, yeah, I did feel a little bit, um, not apprehensive, but just conscious um, of that being so personal to so many people. And then here is I sort of telling that story. Well, if but if I the- can allay your fears, <laughs> I think
1: that you deal with it in a very sensitive manner. And if people haven't read the book... Um, I wouldn't worry too much about that at all because it's very empathetic and heartfelt and thoughtful. Oh, thank so. you.
0: Well, I, I mean, the way I tried to deal with that was just to research, 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 yeah. and ensure well, that you could so um, easily
1: sensationalize, but it doesn't feel that way.
0: Either. I'm glad. I'm glad because, um, yeah, it's
1: fine line. It is fine yeah.
0: line, and and having just as we're talking, I'm just thinking about some of the conversations I've had with friends who've been through it, mm-hmm. and it is, you know, it, but equally, um, you mentioned earlier. Um, I think you use the word takedown and it's not at all like IVF is miraculous and wonderful for so many people. Um, and I was very careful. Uh, I think you'll notice the, um, the clinic is a private clinic. It's a one-off and then the man who runs it is quite villainous. So (laughs) it's sort of contained just that one evil man.
1: Another question would be, you know, like you, a lot of us haven't been through this. I wonder if you've got any advice to the rest of us for how we can be supportive and how we can talk about these things in a way that's not, Um, gratuitous and um, sensationalist? I, you know,
0: I don't know. I I really think that that's a question that you can put to people who have been through with it. Maybe somebody's had a bad experience. I think they're the people that can give advice.
1: As a friend yourself, have you found yourself in a position where you've had to be the supportive mate in those situations? And what have you done to to help out?
0: Um, I think it's the same with any... Um, difficult journey if someone's going through I mean if if you're trying to conceive and and you're failing um, I guess that's a form of grief so similarly when you have someone that's going through grief you just have to listen to what they need and what they want and try and be supportive and um, not be scared to let them know that you are aware that they're going through something difficult and and you're there for them and, and let them know that if they need anything as i say that i'm thinking don't hesitate to ask but having recently like recently been through a loss like Mm. you know that's not particularly helpful sometimes you know gifts of food and just taking someone out for a walk or Mm. just that those little kindnesses just being there
1: well you phrase it yeah as a type of grief which i think is a nice way to put it because i think sometimes we can look at ivf and being infertile um you know I think maybe some women might feel as though because the baby wasn't there in the first place that then there's no loss or mm. it's difficult to bring up as a loss. But but I agree that it's a grief and it's something that is dealt with, you know, in the same way as a lot of other losses. Mm. And so to treat it the same it seems like good advice to me <laughs> um well we given that we're a good reading magazine we often like to ask authors what they're reading at the moment what's on your bedside table what are your favorite reads things like that
0: oh um do you know what my favorite book of all time is Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides and I've actually just been rereading it um, I reread it all the time. It's sort of just always around the house and I just it, pick it what, up. Is it fiction? I've it is. It, it is fiction. Mm-hmm. It won the Pulitzer in, I think, 2003 or 2004. Um, but I'm reading, I'm always sort of constantly reading lots of different things. Um, somebody just gave me The Dutch House. Oh, yeah. Bloomsbury. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um And
1: Pratchett, I want to say. It.
0: Yeah. And Patchett. Patchett. Yes. So I've read the first three pages of that. That's lovely three pages. <laughs> <laughs> Promising. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I'm reading. That's what I've just picked up.
1: Um, well, Genevieve, on that note, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you so much. The Mothers is available at Goodreadings online bookstore, goodreadingmagazine.com.au or at any
0: good bookshop. Thanks, Genevieve. Thank you.